You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. So we're in a series called Hope Thirst. As we see what God has to say, I don't know about you, but this is the reason I come to church, to see what God has to say about something. And today we're going to discover what God says about about hope. Uh, There are a few movies that if I'm just kind of scrolling through the remote control, scrolling through the channels, there's a few movies that if I find that movie, I will stop and watch the rest of that movie. In fact, it seems to be a pretty small conglomeration of movies that I, I will do that. No matter where it is in the movie, it could be five minutes left and I'll watch the last five minutes, or it could have just started five minutes previous and I'll go ahead and watch the entire movie, even though I had not planned on doing so. Lord of the Rings does that to me. The, the real one, not the fake one on Amazon Prime that's out right now, but the real Lord of the Rings, the original, the right ones. Um, Shawshank Redemption does that to me as well. No matter where it is in Shawshank, I will watch the rest of that. Um, the other one's called Tommy Boy, which I know probably says a little bit about my heart and, and about my eclectic nature of, of movies. So those, those movies, those five movies, if they're on, I'll probably watch the, the rest of them. In Shawshank Redemption, there's a scene when uh, Red and Andy are both in prison. Red is played by Morgan Freeman, Andy played by Tim Robbins. And Red looks to, to Andy and says, hope is a dangerous thing. Hope will drive a man insane. Uh, years later, after Red and Andy were released from prison, Andy writes Red a letter and he says, no, hope is a good thing. In fact, hope is the greatest of things. That's where I would land today on, on what hope. It is the greatest of, of things. In fact, sometimes hope is all we have. Uh, hope is, is believing that tomorrow is going to be a better day and that tomorrow things will make more sense than they do perhaps in the chapter of life that you're on right now. So let's see what God has to say to us about hope. So with your copy of God's word, would you turn with me please to the 42nd Psalm. Psalm chapter 42 in the Old Testament. Um, kind of right in the middle of your Bible. I hope you have a copy of God's Word with you today or you can go in your device and look at it there. Job, Psalm, Proverbs, if that helps a little bit. Psalm chapter 42 is where we're going to be today. And as you turn there, I'll just tell you, this is one of the most authentic, gut-level, honest chapters. I'm also one of the wisest passages in the Bible because Psalm 42 speaks about hopelessness. It speaks about despair. It talks about darkness or being in a place of, of disappointment. And we don't know exactly what's happening in the life of the author. More than likely, it's David. Most theologians believe it's David. I think it's David as well. We don't know what's happening in his life, which is actually an okay thing because it allows us to personalize this chapter of whatever happens to be going on in your life or will go on in your life. Uh, Maybe there's some pain in your life or some illness in your life. Uh, College students, maybe maybe your family back home is not doing well. Maybe your your parents' marriage is, is dissolving, is falling apart. Uh, Maybe you have some deep concerns about your kids or deep concerns about some of your friends or some of the people that that you love. Maybe you feel like you're in a dead-end place or that you're lonely or that you've been betrayed, even perhaps recently. We can put all of those things inside of Psalm 42 and own that psalm in our own lives. So let's go there. Psalm 42, beginning in verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. 
How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Psalm 42, verse 1, we see that, that phrase there of panting for God. As a deer is panting for living water or for water, for sustenance, for hydration. In the same way, we pant, we long for God. Verse 2 says, I, I thirst for you, God. I thirst for the living God. Perhaps you've been there before. You've been extremely dehydrated. And the only thing that sounds satisfying is water. Like, like a big cup of, of water, a big glass of water, a big jug of water. Just you, you become so thirsty that you long for nothing else but, but water. This is where David is. He, is. he is longing for the presence of God. And he even says here in verse 2, the second part of verse 2, and when can I go before you? Well, when can I talk to you? When can I see you face to face? When can I come into your presence? So a few things I'd encourage you to write down today if you're one of those note-taker types. Here's the first one. I'll put it in first person just for you. I need God. If there's nothing else you catch today and you just take home those three words, I am perfectly satisfied as a preacher today if that's all you remember. That you could own that. In fact, in the middle of the week, I had that phrase, we need God. And at some point waking up one morning this week, I thought, no, that needs to be owned by every individual in this house. I need God. And we do. I mean, we need him for every moment, for every breath, for every step, for every situation. I need God. In fact, if you're here today thinking, I don't need God, you need God all the more. If you don't realize that you need him, you're not desperate for him, you're not thirsty for him, you're not longing for him, you're not panting for the living God. Oh, we need God. I need God. A little tagline I put at the very bottom of that would be this, hopeless days makes me run to that truth or flee from that truth. Maybe you've been there before. When you feel like you're in a situation that's hopeless, you don't stand still. When you're in a dark time of life, you're in a hopeless place of life, you either move toward God or you move away from God. Rarely does a person remain neutral when they're going through difficult days. Rarely do we just kind of stay in place. We move toward God or we move away from God and it becomes your decision. And then David says here, I am cast down. Or your, your translation may say, I am downcast. He says that in verse five. He says that again in verse six. He says that phrase again in verse 11. That phrase there, cast down or, or downcast, is the Hebrew word uh, shahak. 
And shahak means to crumble. It means to, to dissolve. It means to give way. It means to collapse. It's a Hebraic expression of meaning, I just feel like giving up. And so here David is saying, soul, why are you about to crumble? Why does it feel like I'm about to dissolve? Why does it feel like my soul is about to collapse? Why is it that I want to give up? In fact, so much so that you see in verse 3, the very beginning, that the tears, his own tears, had become his food, both day and night. So here's a guy who's not eating, except for his tears, and he's not sleeping. Here's a guy that's just weeping throughout the day and weeping throughout the night. There are days in the life of even a believer that can seem hopeless sometimes. Elijah felt this way back in 1 Kings chapter 19 when he looked at God and said, just take my life. I don't want to live anymore. Moses said the same thing in Numbers chapter 11. He says, God, just, just take me now. I do not want to live anymore. Jonah said the same thing in Jonah chapter 4. God, just, just kill me. Just take my life. I do not want to live anymore. More. Now, all three of them knew they did not have the right to take their own life. They had just become so despondent based upon their emotions on how they felt. Let me just say this. No one in this room is immune from darkness. No one in this room, no one watching online is above having a chapter of life or maybe even many seasons of life that just seem so hopeless. All of us in this house, we have come to a place before where we just feel like we're knocking on heaven's door with bruised knuckles all throughout the night. God, where are you? God, what is going on? Why is my life in so much chaos? Why is there so much turmoil in my heart? Why does it feel like my life is just crumbling? What is hopelessness? I think it's important for us to see biblically what hopelessness is. And so again, for you note takers, there's three things we're gonna see today according to God's word as God's word defines hopelessness for us. Here's the first thing. What is hopelessness? Hopelessness is, first of all, it's disorienting. Uh, we see this in, in verse seven, where it says, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers, all your waves have gone over me. That phrase deep right there just means the unknown. So in your life, it's like unknown is just talking to unknown. That word also means mysterious. And so mysterious just calls to mysterious. There's all these things that feels like you can't build your life on something. And then it says here, your waterfalls, your breakers, your, your waves, they're, they're crashing over me. If you've been to the ocean before and you've tried to stand up underneath the weight of a wave or stand up underneath the weight of a wave that is breaking, you know the power of the sea. You know the power of that wave. You know the power of that break. It, it knocks you over. It takes, takes your feet out from underneath you. This is what David is saying. The author here is saying there's times in life where it just feels like things are crashing on top of you. You really can't even take a stand. You're not just discouraged. You feel helpless. It's disorienting. Nothing makes sense. And it's not just that those waterfalls and waves and breakers come from life. Did you see the pronoun before them all? All of these come from God. God, it's your waterfalls, it's your breakers, it's your waves. And let's just be honest, sometimes that's even more disorienting that all these things in life sometimes come crashing from us and they come from God. That's hopelessness. It's disorienting to us wherever you are in life. Here's the second thing. Hopelessness fuels this temptation to doubt God. If you're in a dark place today, an anxious place today, place of chaos today, a place that feels hopeless to you today, automatically in the flesh, there's this temptation to begin to doubt God. When we get to a place of hopelessness, there's a great temptation 
to doubt God's kindness, God's sovereignty, God's goodness toward us, his capability, his promises, his very presence. I mean, we, we can be honest here today. When you've gone through chaotic times before, or hopelessness before, and maybe you're there right now, there's a great temptation inside of us to simply doubt God. Our heart becomes tempted to doubt. But then it even gets worse than that. Look at verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me, now some people think, is that the tears talking to him or people outside, his enemies, his adversaries? I personally think he is talking about the enemies or adversaries around him. They say to him all the day long, where is your God? Jump down to verse 10. We see pretty much the same thing. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries, they taunt me, they tease me, they yell at me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Where's your God now? You're going through heartache. You're going through chaos. You're going through hopelessness. You're going through a dark season. Where is your God? Let's just be honest. Hopelessness stings. And then when other people start piling on top of that, asking us to doubt God ourselves, sometimes hopelessness can just feel overwhelming. Here's the third thing we see in this passage. Hopelessness feels like God is distant. Now, the operative word there feels like he's not because he's a covenant God. We are tied to God through Christ Jesus. He is not distant. But certainly, a lot of times, our emotions betray that truth, uh, betray our understanding of truth. And so here we see hopelessness feels like God is distant. It feels like God is distant. Look at verse 9, the beginning of verse 9. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? It seems like God has, has left him. Sometimes we feel that way also. God, you, you've left me, or at least you seem indifferent to what I'm going through. Have you forsaken me? In fact, David says this over and over again in his honesty toward God. Back in Psalm chapter 10, David says, why, O oh Lord, do you stand so far off? And why do you hide your face from me? David says something very similar in Psalm chapter 13 when he says, how long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long, oh God, will you hide yourself from me? That's what hopelessness feels like. That's what depression feels like. That's what chaos feels like. That's what loneliness feels like. That's what darkness feels like. Now, it's not what's happening in reality, but it sure seems like God has forgotten. It feels like sometimes that God has forgotten you. So if that's the biblical definition of hopelessness, praise God, he also tells us what to do in that hopelessness. So I'm going to show you four things in this passage today of what to do when you feel hopeless. What do you do when you feel hopeless? Now, you may be here today going, hey, preacher guy, I'm fine. Like, there's no hopelessness in my life at all. Let me just give you this kind of sad news. Wait till the week happens, right? I mean, you have no idea what's going to happen this week. You have no idea what this semester is going to be like. And you may not be in hopelessness right now, but you may have a friend in hopelessness. Or a friend walking through a dark time. So you can write these four things down, maybe pass it on to somebody else, or pass it on to yourself in a few weeks, or a few months, or a few seasons. What do you do when you feel hopeless? Number one, pour out your soul to God. Pour out your soul. Look at verse four. David says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. Remember, the author has already said, the psalmist has already said, God feels absent to me. But then David still lays out his life before God. 
I say this about once a year here at Highland. So if you've been here for the last nine years, you've heard this almost nine times now. You can be honest with God. In fact, here's what I want to really say. God is big enough to handle your honesty. I learned throughout 30 years of marriage, sometimes my wife is not big enough to handle my honesty. Sometimes my best friend isn't big enough to handle my honesty. Sometimes maybe your roommate's not gonna be big enough to handle your honesty. God has always been big enough to handle your honesty. If you doubt him, tell him you doubt him. If you've been prayerless, tell him you've been prayerless. If it doesn't seem like he is around, tell him, God, it does not seem like you are around. God is big enough to handle your honesty. Come to God in the dark watches of the night and pour out your soul to him. He cares and he listens. There's a group of some little six-year-old boys in kids' Sunday school, and the teacher was telling the story about Jonah and the big fish. And the teacher said to the boys, hey, if you were inside the belly of that big fish, like, what would you do? And one of the boys said, well, I'd build a fire, and I would burn a hole in, in that, that big fish, and I'd just crawl out of that hole that I burned. Ladies, you just got a big picture of what guys think, how, how we think sometimes, right? That could have been a 16-year-old boy or a 56-year-old man, maybe with the same answer. Just build a fire. Like, you just burn, burn the fish. That's all you have to do. Second kid said, I know what I'd do. I'd step on the tongue of that big fish really hard so that fish would have to spit me out. Third boy said, I would just cry out loud to my dad. That's the essence of prayer. When you're in darkness, you're in a place of chaos, you're, you're in a place of hopelessness, it really becomes the first thing we do is just to cry out to God. Verse four, I'm gonna pour out my soul to God. And God, I thank you because you are big enough to handle my honesty. Here's the second thing you do. You preach to yourself. Uh, look at verse five. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in such turmoil? Why are you melting with, within me? Why are you collapsing within me? Hope in God, for I shall again Praise him, my salvation and my God. The same thing happens in verse 11. Why are you cast down on my soul? Well, why are you collapsing? Why does it feel like everything is giving way inside of me? Why are you in such turmoil, chaos within me? Hope in God. Now listen, David is not talking to you right here. He's not talking to the readers. He's also not even talking to God. He is talking to himself. He is preaching to himself. It is a good thing, Highland family, to preach to yourself. There are some great preachers in this city. I think one of the best communicators in our nation today is JP at Harris Creek. Phenomenal communicator. I think one of the most influential preachers in our nation today is Jimmy Seibert over at Antioch. An incredible influencer, incredible um, mind to see what God can, can do with his church throughout the world. One of the most brilliant preachers in our city today is Drake Osborne over at Grace Waco. Just a deeper thinker, a deep life thinker. One of the fiercest preachers in our, in our city today, one of the fiercest preachers I know is C.J. Oliver over at Greater Zion, New Missionary Baptist Church. That guy can preach down heaven. At Highland, one of the most strikingly handsome pastors, <laughs> pastors ever. Don't laugh too long. That was supposed to be a really short laugh and to kind of, kind, of, kind of move along. But the preacher you listen to the most is you. You listen to you more than anyone else you listen to. So if you're going to listen to yourself, 
And if you become the preacher that you listen to the most, preach a really good sermon to yourself. And that's exactly what David is doing here. He's talking to his soul. He's talking to himself. In fact, he's kind of looking down at his chest saying, why is it that but my soul is so downcast? Why, why, soul, do you feel like everything is falling apart? Soul, put your hope in God. Soul, put your hope in God. Would you preach it with me for just a second? Soul, put your hope in God in God. That was horrible. Let's try it again. Soul, put your hope in God. One more time. Soul, put your hope in God. You're good preachers. Now preach that to yourself this week. Remind your soul that you can put your hope in God, that he is your salvation. He is your rock. He is your God. Thirdly, talk to God on the dark days. <laughs> Even if you're upset with him, talk to him. Even if your emotions are telling you there is no God, talk to God on the dark days. This is what's happening here in verse six. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. I remember you. Look at verse seven. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all of your breakers, all of your waves. They have gone over me. Something shifts right here in verse six and verse seven. David begins to talk directly to God. The only time in this chapter where you see God in the second person, he is talking to God, even in the middle of the darkness, even in the middle of him feeling like God has forsaken him. He is talking to God. We often think as, of, of light being like the, a symbol of God or the manifestation of God or, or a sign of God, that God only lives in or exists in, in the light. But God is also in, catch me, the dark. You'll see this on the screen behind me. Look at 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 12. The Lord has set the sun in the heavens, but has said that he will dwell in thick darkness. Psalm 18, verse 11. He made darkness his covering, the darkness his canopy around him. So I'll submit to you again. Talk to God on the dark days, because God is the God of the dark, just as he is the God of the light. And darkness has been the part of the lives of, of believers ever since Genesis chapter 3. Now, the darkness is never permanent. There's always a promise of, of dawn that is coming, that it will give way to dawn. But the Bible is filled with men and women who prayed to God while everything around them seemed so dark. Job prayed in dark times. David here prayed and talked to God in dark times. Job prayed to God in dark times. Daniel prayed to God in dark times. Queen Esther, she fasted and prayed to God in dark times. Jonah prayed in the dark quite literally. In the dark, talk to God. Thank him that he's there. Thank him that he has not given you a spirit of fear. Thank him that he's already given you a sound mind. Thank him that his promises are real, even if you don't feel like they are real at that time. Thank him in advance for peace. Thank him in advance for the spiritual maturity that is happening as you walk through dark times. God takes even the darkest moments of life and redeems them for good purposes. You know something that ties all of us here together in this room? The first nine months of our life, we were in darkness. And while we were in the darkness of our mother's womb, 
God was miraculously building us together. Cells multiplying. God stamped on us the color of our eyes, the color of our hair, even began to program some of our personalities in the darkness. God does great things even in the dark. The most beautiful trees in the world, they once began as a seed that was planted deep into the darkness of the soil. Now the darkness of that soil came life. God can do great things even in dark times. The most significant events in the life of Jesus took place in the darkness. In the darkness of a stable, he was born. In the darkness of Gethsemane, he was arrested. In the darkness of the day, as the sun became dark, he died. His resurrection, in the darkness. John chapter 20, verse one, Mary came to the tomb while it was still dark and found the stone rolled away. I'm just telling you, talk to God in dark times. He will meet you there. Here's the fourth and last thing. Remember, even in the darkness, remember the steadfast love of the Lord. Uh, this is David. He, I mean, he is going through a difficult time, whatever it might be in his life, but he was reminding himself of the steadfast love of the Lord. Look again to verse six. Uh, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you. I remember you, God. I remember you from the land of, of Jordan, of Hermon, of Mount Mazar. He was reminded of when God's people were, were in Jordan and about to enter the promised land after 40 years of darkness, 40 years of chaos, 40 years of confusion. God provided this new land, this promised land, because of the steadfast love of the Lord. He remembers the beauty of that 9,000-foot mountain, Mount Hermon, uh, the only mountain in Israel that collects snow all throughout the year. He remembers the beauty of the mountain, being able to stand on that mountain and look into all of Israel. And then verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. God, I love this, God commands, God commands himself to love us. God commands himself to, to, to love us steadfastly for his own steadfast love to be with us. God's steadfast love is with me in the day, and I love this as well. And at night, his song is with me. The Hebrew word song, sheer, which means his music is with me. Always reminding us, even in the dark watches of the night, that his love is steadfast toward his people. On days that seem hopeless, seem dark, sons and daughters of God, press into your faithful father. Yes, he's a sovereign king. Yes, he's a righteous judge. Yes, he is the creator of all things we see and all things that we do not see. But also do not forget this. He's the one that brought you in when you were far off. He is the one who adopted you into his family. He is the one who gave you the right to call him, listen, Abba, Father, Dad. Thank God he tells us what to do when we walk through seasons that just seem hopeless. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today that your steadfast love 
is always around us and is always placed on us, that you have set your eyes of love upon us. Your goodness, your mercy will pursue us all the days of our lives. We believe this. Even when our emotions betray us, even at times we feel like perhaps you have forgotten us, we know that's not your character. Even when others come to us and say, so where's your God now? God, we believe. Give us faith to believe even more that you have not forgotten your people, that in the darkness, in the hopelessness, you're producing inside of us a weight of glory that is far better, far more significant than these temporary situations of hopelessness, of fear, of anxiety, of chaos that we might find ourselves in, even, even this weekend. Our hope is in you. We believe this in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word in the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus, and now we sing to you in the name of Christ. Amen.